0: Welcome to Talking Beats. I hope you'll subscribe and give us a five star review on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash talkingbeats. That's P A T R E O N.com slash talkingbeats. We believe now more than ever in providing a platform for individuality, free thought, and a diverse range of views. By supporting the show this way, You'll get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and much more. And remember, the conversation is always active at Talking Beats Podcast on social media. On today's program, we're speaking with Australian guitar virtuoso Tommy Emmanuel. He's known the world over, not just for his searing virtuosity, all up and down the fingerboard of the guitar, but also for the emotions and the new takes he brings to classics. In non-pandemic times, he's usually busy, like most musicians, touring the world and bringing his message of music to audiences in every city and every country. But right now, he's happy to be at home, to be practicing, to be honing his skills with the passion and the attention to detail, as he always does. That's where our conversation Started off
1: well. I've been as happy as I can be. Um, <clears throat> I have a bit of a frog in my throat today, uh, and believe me, it was a lot worse yesterday. So I think I have some allergy stuff going on. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and there's always a lot of allergies. And you know, the the native people who lived here before we white folk did, they used to call Nashville. Uh, the valley of sickness and it's kind of in a valley it's in a low part and uh, they all moved out into the mountains to get health you know Um, but we we guitar players uh, hang out in Nashville and um, I've been I haven't been playing a real lot I've done um, when COVID hit I was shut down uh, I think it was April first week of April and, um, uh, yeah, I had to stop touring and sent my lighting man back home to Chicago and my sound man back home to Kansas City. And I flew into uh, San Jose uh, and uh, with, I had a little apartment there for a while and I did all my Facebook Live and Instagram Live uh, shows where I live streamed playing Uh, I did that from my house in uh, in San Jose and now I've um, the last couple of months I've been here in Nashville and uh, I've been on the Opry a couple of times um, and I've uh, recorded a whole bunch of stuff and some live streaming and uh, this weekend I'll be mixing uh, uh, some new Christmas music that we recorded it last year, and I'll have a chance to, you know, I have, now I have time to sit and go through everything and get a live Christmas album together. So there's that.
0: San Jose is is uh, not a place of great musicians, but, but it's it's a pretty techie place for you to hang out, isn't it?
1: Well, my wife works at Apple.
0: Okay, there we go.
1: Yeah, so she can uh, she can have it and I'll be here in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> so before
0: we talk about the Christmas album, which would be nice to talk about, it's amazing that it's getting to be that that time already. We're coming into, I guess we're well into fall. I keep saying to people, We're coming into fall, but we're no longer coming into fall. We're in fall. No, we're
1: in fall, yeah. (laughs) The amount of leaves that were coming down yesterday, I, I kicked myself. I didn't have my phone with me because it would have made some incredible footage if you put it into black and white and slow it down of all these leaves coming down. They were just constantly coming down like that. We had a big wind came through yesterday here, and it was incredible. I didn't have my phone with me.
0: Well, that same thing happened where I am right now in rural New Hampshire. A uh, big wind and, and, and the leaves are, are incredible colors, but you're hoping that the wind doesn't come through because then, then they're all gone and, and they're on the road, the car drives over them.
1: <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Those <laughs> so, autumn leaves are by
0: my window. You know, even with a frog in your throat, you have a, a great voice, I got to oh. say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I... Um, it's a funny thing, uh, when I meet up with Australians, they all think I've lost my accent. And I haven't. I've just always talked like this. Um, I've never been one of those Aussies that we went, good eye, mate, how you going? All right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that real kind of redneck way of speaking Australian. Um, uh, you know, when, when people say, oh, you lost your accent, I say, no, I just don't talk like you.
0: You know, <laughs> you, you, you know what's, what I always found interesting About accents in uh, speech versus in singing Is that music always seemed to delete any sign of an accent it's, I, I know people who have super heavy accents When they speak English, when they sing They, they sound like, like it's their first language It's very strange, I, I always wondered
1: why Yeah, well it's because most of the music that we like Is either from America or England There you go <laughs> okay. So so everybody, even Australians sing with an American accent or an English accent. Um, there's only a very few people who sing like a real Australian accent, like uh, you know, um, it was somewhere in September and the sun was going down when I came in search of copy to a darling river town, that's typical Australian.
0: You know, we don't know a lot of music uh, from Australia. You've not lived in Australia for a long time, Tommy Emanuel. Let's just go back to the roots, if you will. You had music in your blood from a young age, super gifted. But talk about w- when you reached that time when when you knew you were talented. I mean, I, I as a as a cellist, I, I I know the feeling when when you know there's some talent, but but then there's sort of a moment where it becomes. Your life I remember I remember with me I started to tell at age four and a half, and it just there was nothing else to do. there was no other option
1: right well, I have played the guitar since I was four years old, but I never wanted to do anything else you know I, um, I've been very fortunate there we go it sounds a bit better in here
0: oh that's nice. I, I thought you were going to bring us to the guitar room
1: no. Uh, the, oh, there are guitars in this room. There's guitars in every room. You're, you're welcome to pick one up anytime you want. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I was always interested in music. In fact, I can go right back to the cradle, really, because my mother used to say to me that I would not sleep unless she put my um, pr- pram next to the record player and put music on them. Then I would sleep. And then when the music stopped, I woke up, and howled my lungs out until she turned the music over and then and I'd play the other side and I would go back to sleep. She told me that my first words were turn it over. That's the first thing I said <laughs> in, in my with my mouth.
0: Which would have very little relevance to a, a kid today, but I, I, I know what you're talking
1: about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> turn the record over.
0: Uh, turn the record over. So early, early, early music memories. What What were you listening to? What, what was keeping you up at night?
1: Um, at night, we would listen to um, Jim Reeves, uh, Marty Robbins, uh, Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers. It was all American country music. That's what we mostly listened to. And, oh, brilliant. Talk about brilliant music. And uh, and then whatever was on the radio, uh, I remember. I can still remember the first time I heard the Beatles. You know, and she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first thing I heard by the Beatles on the radio. And then uh, please, please me, and and uh, all my and all those great songs. We heard them all on the radio, and. Uh, they were such an inspiration to us. I can still remember my mother saying, don't listen to that rubbish, talking about the Beatles. <laughs>
0: when you talk about becoming a professional musician, what did it mean to you when when you were a kid, when you were practicing, when you were playing? What, when, what, talk about th- this idea that, wow, this is maybe a life here and not just a, a thing I pick up for some fun
1: after school. Straight away. We, by the time I was five years old, we were already playing out. We were playing at um, you know functions, at church, at, in, in the hospital for the patients. We were already running around playing all the time. By the time I was six years old, we were entering in band contests and stuff like that, and we were winning all the time because we were little and we could actually play. So it was a revelation to people because we were little kids, six, eight, 12, my eldest brother... My sister was about 10. And we could actually play. That, that's the, it wasn't just like a performing monkey uh, uh, thing that you'd see in the circus. This is people, this is little kids uh, earnestly and honestly playing music. And uh, my brother and I, we taught, us, we taught each other kind of thing. He showed me how to understand chords and how the song worked. And I worked out how to play the the rhythm, and I was his accompanist. My brother, Phil, was the lead guitar player. But that all changed when we got a little older, and I actually started to work out how to play some Chet Atkins music. Um, When I was about 10, um, I started playing some of Chet's tunes, and got a spot in the show on my own, where I would play that style and people were always saying oh there's a he's got a he's got a tape recorder backstage with all the other parts on it, and he's just playing one part, but I was actually doing everything at once, the bass, the chords, and the melody all at the same time. Talk
0: about that technique these these Complex finger techniques. W- what do you, what do you do every day? First of all, obviously, technique isn't something that that you quote learn and then you have it and then it sticks forever. This this is something that has to be has to be maintained. You you know the great quote that I, I like from Yasha Heifetz, maybe the greatest violin player in the twentieth century, who said, "If I miss a day of practicing, I notice. If I miss two days, my wife notices. If I miss three days, the public notices." yeah what do you do in terms of, of maintaining the technique obviously as, as you've got to play all the time play all the time yeah talk about playing for yourself when you listen to yourself when you practice
1: and analyze what what, what is that all about it's about you trying to do it well that's all um uh, it should look easy be easy uh, even real hard stuff you've got to get it to a point where you can just pick up the guitar and play those tunes that are really difficult. You can get through them, you know, and you just got to keep at it. Technique to me is it should be invisible. It's the music and the musical statement that you're making that is what should be seen and heard. It's in service of the music, right? No, that's right. Well, my job as a musician is to serve the music and serve it to the public. So that they can enjoy it, you know. That's that's really what I'm. I'm all about is. I'll play my. I always go out there with the attitude to do my absolute best, and I try to give it all away every time, so I can get a chance to do it again tomorrow. But I have to give it up, give it all out today.
0: It's something Janos Starker spoke about a lot. The the definition of a professional having to do with consistency, being able to. Do it night after night, not just that. Oh, I, I had a good night tonight. Things went really well, uh, but that that
1: good night is is your standard. Well, it should be, it should be, you know, because uh, when I teach workshops and stuff, I always say to the students, even on my worst night, I can still have a good show because I've got some good songs and good arrangements. So even if I'm not feeling inspired or energetic or I'm I'm not, you know, I feel a little flat. Maybe I'm tired. I don't know. But if I'm not feeling 100% and I feel like I'm struggling with it, um, at least I know I've got some great songs and some wonderful arrangements that I can count on, I can stand on, even on my worst night. I'm still going to do the best job I can. But, you know, I go out there to fly my kite to see how wonderful it can be if uh, with improvisation and stuff like that. I just let it fly, and, and I follow my instincts, and I'm very much, I'm very, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, spontaneous. You talk
0: about arrangements. What does that word mean to you? What is a good arrangement? Pretend that, that you're speaking to someone who has no clue what the heck you're talking, what is an arrangement to begin with?
1: It, it, it's really about surprising you. You know, if I play a song that I know you'll probably know, I want to do something with it that makes it, uh, that is not the normal and that, that surprises the listener. So I have an arrangement of the Carpenters' song uh, close to you and I changed a lot of the things about it. The melody remains the same. You have to play the melody as it was written. Um, and Hal David and Burt Bacharach wrote that song. And Burt Bacharach's melodies are just the best. And so I came up with all these kind of alternative chords. And then let me just uh, grab a guitar and I'll show you what I mean.
0: Wow, I-, I didn't think you'd actually do it when I said feel free to pick up a guitar.
1: There's guitars here. <laughs> Here's one. All right. Well, uh, let me see if I can do it here. Yeah. See that? So close to you you weren't expecting that that chord close to you and the bridge a completely different chord so what I'm trying to do is make my arrangement interesting all the way so you can it's you never know what's going to happen next and um, and so that's what that's what I that's what I I learned from li- listening to all my heroes and those who played things well um, that you know you you've gotta got to play the melody as a composer intended but you can put that different chords and and things that surprise the listener yeah do you know who Penn and teller are
0: yes i just want to say that two things and people are going to think i'm going way into the weeds but i'll go into the weeds briefly i love the key of f major you're playing the song in f major it's a beautiful warm key there's that pastoral quality to f major and of course when you do an arrangement you can pick whatever key you want I love that you played it F major, and I love that you ended on this big open augmented chord, these major major chords, these big open sevenths. I love it.
1: Thank you. Well, that, that that's because they're they're good for your ear.
0: They're they're very good for your ear. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about talk about creating an atmosphere with two notes. It's just it was just great.
1: Well, let me tell you that that if you just play it like the carpenter sang it. It's already been done. The carpenters have done it better than you can, right? So, you, if you if you're going to do, and the reason I came up with that arrangement is because I was asked to contribute a song to an album that was that was the album itself was a a tribute to Burt Bacharach, and and the album was called This Guitar's in Love with You, and because uh, This This Guy's in Love is one of of, of his songs, so nobody wanted to do. Uh, close to you. No no guitar, the other guitar players who were um, approached, none of them wanted to touch close to you. Um, And so I took it upon myself to come up with that arrangement. And uh, people loved it. And so many, especially people from China and Japan, you know, every young Asian guitar player worked out my arrangement of close to you. And, uh, and so everybody was playing it and then sending me their videos of them playing it. And it was a wonderful feeling that I had come up with something that really struck a chord with the younger generation around the world, even though it was a song, uh, I think Close to You came out in about 69 or something like that.
0: You bring up a couple of things. I, I, I was thinking when you mentioned arrangements, I was thinking recently that I was listening to, I, I've been... I've been having Beethoven on my mind a lot recently. I I don't know if you you saw, but there was a big kerfuffle online about Beethoven and there was a publication that that said Beethoven five is, is elitist and exclusionary. And I was asked to write a rebuttal to that, which I I wrote very strongly. And I was thinking about, about the freshness I hear in a Beethoven symphony and, uh, and, each time I hear, and, and someone sent me the um, transcriptions that listed of Beethoven symphonies for solo piano, and I put on Beethoven Five, played by a pianist I love, old old German pianists from the mid century, and I was hearing it fresh. I was hearing Beethoven for solo piano, the symphony transcribed just for two hands, and I was I was reminded of the vitality in a new way. Of course, every time I play the piece it it blows me away with with the punchiness and and the and the freshness and the originality but when i heard it on the piano it was a whole new
1: experience how beautiful well you know that's it's up to the person to bring that bring that uh, arrangement to life you know and um so you know, i don't play any beethoven's pieces but i sure think his music is is monumental you know he's a he's like the greatest juggernaut in music
0: that's a good way of putting it. I, Tommy Manuel, you know, we, we've been talking about music in, in different ways. Let, let me just ask you the, the question that everybody gets asked, as you know, what, which is basically, what have you been listening to recently that you mentioned a few people that you love, but what have you been listening to recently that maybe you rediscovered that, that you had forgotten about or that you want people to, when they're done listening to this podcast, go online or their player and put on?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, lately I've been listening to Merle Haggard, Um, uh, his album Hag and an album called Let Me Tell You About A Song I love the songs on that and his singing uh, is just beautiful Um, and I've been playing James Taylor's Gorilla album which is from the early 70s and the other album I listened to was um, New Moonshine which has um, Lord Have Mercy on the Frozen Man has the, The Frozen Man on it uh, another brilliant song of James Taylor's. So that's what I've been listening to. I very rarely ever listen to guitar music. You know, I listen to singers and songwriters. That's what I like. Carol King, James Taylor, Billy Joel, Elton John, Stevie Wonder, Sting. You know, there. that's my diet right there. That's what I like to consume. A
0: piece of music, you mentioned, came out in 1969 a few minutes ago. What? Why is a piece of music 50 years later as appealing and as relevant as when it came out? What is that all about?
1: Because it's good and it's well-written and it, it'll stand the test of time, you know? I bet you anything you like if Hank Williams uh, suddenly appeared and sa- uh, the first thing you'd ask him is, oh, sing Sick blues, you know? And he would blow your mind right now. And yet, you know, the songs from the late 40s. But it's incredible. And, you know, what happens if someone who's popular these days, if somebody appeared who was a good singer, you know, um, Celine Dion or someone like that, and you said sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, you know, it would be a mind-blowing experience because those songs are so great it doesn't matter that they're old and they've been heard a thousand times they're good and if someone does it with all their heart it's going to really you know make you cry and make you feel full of emotion and enjoy the that whole experience
0: i had a music Theory professor and anybody who knows me knows I'm big on music, big on playing and listening. I'm much less big on uh, the musicology and music theory side of music. That's not my field, and I don't even understand most of it. I, I proudly say, but I did have a, a music theory teacher once who who told me that she thought this was a, a scholar of uh, Stravinsky and Schoenberg and and not someone to listen to this music. But she said she thought somewhere over the rainbow was one of the great melodies ever written in history, period. And, and I, I, I said, wow, I really respect you a lot more for saying that.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And the same thing with ima- Imagine, John Lennon's song. That's one of the greatest songs ever written.
0: It's a beautiful song. I had an album of, of all Harold Arlen uh, stuff that oh, I was... Oh,
1: fantastic.
0: Uh, to me, it just doesn't... I mean, it's not music that I play. I wish I did, but you know, we do it at a pops concert or whatever, but, but I... I Think it's as satisfying as a Rossini or whatever.
1: Totally, it is. It is, um, you know. And it, well, Claude Debussy uh, it was, you know, the musical kinky guy who, you know, who uh, made everything always slightly off center and and unusual and unpredictable and ah, oh, incredible, you know. So, you know, and the same thing, Stevie Wonder. Does the same thing. He'll surprise you all the time. What I was going to tell you about Penn and Teller was that Penn was interviewed, and the young guy who interviewed him said, "What? What is entertainment? Like that? Ask him the question. What is entertainment?" And he said, "Surprise me." He said, "No, no. What is entertainment?" He said, "Yeah, surprise me." That was the answer. So that is the reason why I play those unusual chords in Close to You is it surprises the listener every time. So I'm, in other words, I can play Close to You a song that's been played to death a million times, but I can still make it entertaining for a guy like you because I, I make sure that the chords are not exactly what you're expecting, but the melody is there.
0: That's a beautiful line. There,
1: it's in the name of entertainment, and that's it. You know, does
0: entertainment get a bad rap? Does the word entertainment have a sort of lower connotation than it deserves? Don't you think entertainment is what's holding the world together right now?
1: Yeah, without entertainment, we're, we're, our lives would be incredibly uh, harder and and much more boring. You know, that's why. You know, I, I don't. I don't feel. Like, like I'm serious about my music and it has to be on a certain level and you know I know that 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 what there has to be is uh, quality integrity and everything it has to have all that and but I still have to re- be reminded that I am in the entertainment business my job is to entertain people and I'll do whatever I can I'll I'll take on anything I'll you know, the old thing of playing the guitar and picking up a brush and playing the guitar with the brush.
0: You're at home. You're not going to be traveling in the way that, that you're used to any, anytime soon. So what are you doing right now? You mentioned a Christmas album. What else day to day?
1: Um, I'm, re- I'm going to be re- recording some songs with my good friend Richard Smith. Uh, he's an English guitar player who lives here in Nashville. And him and I are going to do a kind of Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed type of package, where we, we, we play some fingerstyle tunes and he'll play uh, nylon string and I'll play steel string and, and we'll, we'll do, do duets. So we'll do like four songs or something, six songs, maybe if we have enough. And I'm also recording with um, Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley, uh, and they're genius. Rob Ikes is an incredible uh, Dobro player. And uh, Trey is a guitar player, so the three of us will do some recording as well.
0: And is that done in in the house? Is that done, or
1: in, in no? I, or? I'll do it out at. Richard Smith has a studio in a place called Goodlettsville, so we'll we'll go out there and record.
0: So you have that coming up. You have a few other things. You have stuff of your own. As uh, as fall goes into winter, what's what's going to be happening? You're going to be
1: writing new songs. You're going to be doing new arrangements. I'm hoping to get into writing mode. Um, It's not something that you can force. You know, music is not made to be forced. Uh, It's got to come and float through you. Uh, And, you know, some days I pick up the guitar and I'm waiting. I start playing stuff and I'm improvising and I'm waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to stick out to me. Other times, like uh, when I wrote certain songs, the melody came to me in my head straight away and I picked up the guitar and started writing and then I finished it off. So that's, that's inspiration that you're always waiting for. Um, a, a songwriter waits patiently for something to happen so he can write about it.
0: How much of your real life, of your emotions, of your interactions, how much of all of that goes into the music? Imagine you can't separate it.
1: You can't, no. It's it's all what's going on in my inner life um, when I something has inspired me. Say, for instance, uh, there's a song I wrote called Old Photographs, and I wrote that because I watched the movie Lincoln, and I was so inspired and transformed by that movie. You know, it's a Steven Spielberg masterpiece, and... It reminded me of my time with my grandparents and my grandmother would open these old cookie tins and they were bulging with hundreds of old photographs of my family, my ancestors and my uncles uh, and all that sort of stuff. So I went back to my hotel and I got my guitar and I wrote that song. In no time, because I was so inspired, and that's what you're always waiting for. You're waiting to get into that place of being inspired.
0: I imagine there's going to be a lot of young, aspiring, uh, hopefully inspiring, at some point, guitarists listening to this conversation. What What do you think they should take away? You You bring. I'll just say what I hear, and 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 then then you can answer my question. You bring a richness and a variety of Backgrounds to your music making. I think you have very eclectic taste in music, and I think you have very high standards for yourself. And I think those two things combined make for a very compelling musical figure. What should young people take away from you?
1: It's all about the quality and integrity of your music. Um, don't forget to play the melody. Can you hear the melody? Can you feel it? All that sort of stuff. It's like. Um, it's easy to play a whole bunch of notes and play fast and be impressive, but it's all about emotion. You've got to tap into the emotion of music. You know, i done my share of showing off when I was young, uh, as most of us do, if we have something to show off. But at the same time, I always make sure that I play songs that are really from my heart um, and that they they're designed to take you to another place take the listener with you kind of thing um so i'm hoping that i'll write some more songs soon you know uh that's what i'm waiting for
0: tommy emmanuel you're great i hope you'll come back and uh,
1: talk to me more sometime all right well thanks for having me daniel and um I sure to appreciate it and uh, thanks for doing this podcast uh, it's been fun
0: you've been listening to talking beats with daniel Lelchuk. i hope you'll subscribe and leave a review on apple spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts the original theme music for this program is by ronald markham the content coordinator is nathaniel Mose. doug christian is the executive producer i'm daniel Lelchuk. See you next time.